재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Continuing our discussion on MeToo products, uh, there certainly are some distinct advantages of uh, trying to enter a marketplace in a uh, profitable setting uh, quickly, but concerns are also being raised over whether this could maybe even stifle innovation. So we're going to get your thoughts. Text us to pound 1013 for 51 or send us a cacao talk message. We're going to be joined by uh, Frank Alpert from the University of Queensland uh, very shortly. But once again, here in the studio, we have the founder of Expatroneur, Clay Crocker. Clay, good to see you again. Uh, thanks for joining us. Now, You've worn many hats since uh, you first started appearing on our uh, program. Uh, you've been uh, associated with different companies. Right. Um, now you are the founder of Expatrineur. Uh, you are advising people on how they can maybe thrive in an environment right. like like Korea. If people you were advising, yep. yeah, and companies. Now, if you are talking to a startup or a, an entrepreneur, and they are saying, "Look, I, I have this." Uh, Great idea, but this idea necessitates me actually getting into the market and doing a little bit of a different twist on an existing very popular market. Do you think that that could be a good tactic to at least get your feet wet or at least kind of start building up some revenue? I think it, I think it could be. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty. You know, a lot of it depends on what industry you're getting into, of course. But you know, I see Korea. It's you know, people are pretty well aware that Koreans are some of the liveliest consumers in the world. Okay, we I think we we've had a show about that before but i think coming into here as far as uh in terms of being a gateway to this region of the world you know so i I do a lot of east-west consulting you know businesses that that i try to take from the states that i think would be successful here um fitness related a a lot of different areas but i think there is um you know there's you just the timing is everything in Korea. You know, things move fast. You know you can't. You need to realize that certain there's a shelf life here. But I think with the with the Me Too brands, if you're if you're sharp enough to be at you know slightly ahead of the curve in terms of you know trend spotting and that type of thing, you can really catch something and then and then hopefully once you're here, you can you know there's a way to maneuver to you know to get to somewhere else where it can become more sustainable. We also have joining us on the line from the University of Queensland. Uh, marketing department, Professor Frank Alpert. Hello. Hello. Professor, thank you for joining us. Uh, I just want to get your initial thoughts on what people call Me Too marketing or uh, Me Too products entering a, what they deem to be a, a profitable niche. Is it, it, On a whole, is there anything wrong with that? Or wh- where do we kind of draw a line between doing that and then infringing on copyright or intellectual property? Well, those are great issues. Uh, obviously, for the uh, Me Too follower brand, you save on a lot of things. The Pioneer brand bears the cost of discovering the market and developing uh, the appropriate product configuration. Um, the Me Too follower brand doesn't have to do that. On the other hand, there are strong Pioneer brand advantages. That's why people do it. A good Pioneer brand, a good innovator brand can stay number one almost indefinitely. In history, we see that. Many pioneer brands dominate the market uh, forever. So uh, there are advantages and disadvantages. Would you say then, I, I suppose you're saying history kind of bears this out, that the pioneer brands usually 
stay on top. Is that kind of a scenario that you're envisioning? Let's say hypothetically in in the uh, the mobile phone race where you have a company like Apple and then you have a company like Samsung, which is kind of being accused as being fast followers. A lot of feel people feel the design somewhat similar. Are we talking about a scenario there where it, it is what you're describing? Well, uh, just being a pioneer brand, what that does is it puts you in a position to maintain your dominance, but it doesn't guarantee your dominance. So Apple is in a very strong position. Whether Apple stays number one forever, well, that depends on how well they do in their continuing innovation uh, and marketing. I can tell you this, though. Apple right now is not overvalued by in the stock market for one reason, and that reason is because the investors, they see Xiaomi, or Xiaomi however it's pronounced, as a serious threat to, to Apple you know, in the next 5, 10, 20 years. They do or they don't? They do, absolutely. Yeah, and that, that's the only thing keeping Apple's share price you know, down. for. It'd be 40% higher if there weren't Xiaomi right now. Okay, now when we talk about those kind of emerging competitors like uh, Xiaomi, uh, Professor Alpert, if you are a company and you are, let's say, an entrepreneur and you do engage in these kind of practices, uh, Me Too marketing, uh, putting Me Too products in there, uh, it's not necessarily something that where you're saying, okay, you guys are set for failure, but how would you advise them? What do you think are maybe recipes of success for those companies uh, if they enter a marketplace like that? Do you feel they have to eventually uh, transition and try to become a pioneer company? Well, you know, there's a continuum between being a radical pioneer brand with a um, what we call a discontinuous innovation, that's a great big innovation, to some product that's just got a little bit of difference. So the principles of marketing still apply. Is there a differentiated positioning for your product that meets an unmet consumer need? Now, it can still be the same product. It can just be differentiated in some way in consumers' minds. So actually, you have to start with that fundamental question. Is there a differentiated positioning for my product, even if it's small, but is there one? Because if there isn't, then it's tough because the Pioneer brand has strong advantages. Clay, what about you? Well, I mean, if it's cheaper, that's that for me constitutes differentiation. Uh, you know, it, it just, um, you know, I think I don't, I, I'm a little skeptical of, of seeing, you know, uh, seeing too much the the pioneering brand the uh, the first mover concept I I think there's m- honestly more of a first mover disadvantage now than there is a first mover advantage I think if you're savvy about the way that you that you chase and that you benchmark and that you uh, you know for lack of a better word copy or or emulate then then you can get over that that pioneer hmm. advantage pretty quickly. On the whole, Professor Alpert, do you think this kind of uh, phenomenon is something that's here to stay? I mean, we're just seeing this uh, from the past. It's something that is somewhat uh, an easy route into uh, entering some kind of an industry, or do you think that we might see some major shifts in marketing in the future? Uh, Well, look, uh, it's always been here because the evolution of an industry is you start with a pioneer brand. Then some followers come in. They may be differentiated followers. They may be me-too followers. This is the way uh, it's always been. Now, there's, it's easier to imitate now. Uh, some people raise the argument, like uh, Clay did, that uh, there's some disadvantages to the pioneer. Uh, 
that make Me Too follower strategies uh, more powerful today. Now, I would argue that actually there are not only um, the classic pioneer brand advantages of some people have already bought the brand, it's already got some brand loyalty, it's already got brand name recognition, but it becomes the authentic for that product category. People like uh, pioneer brands. They think innovation is a positive thing. So there are actually psychological image, uh, benefits to pioneer brands with consumers. All right. Well, some very great points there. Professor Alpert, uh, we're going to leave it there. Thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate your time. Thank you for inviting me. Also joining us on the line from the U.K., uh, we have a professor of innovation and new product development at Cranfield School of Management, uh, Keith Goffin. Hello. Hello. Good evening. Good evening to you, sir. Thank you for joining us. In your view, I know you've been hearing a little bit of this conversation. Uh, what do you think, if, if there is an, uh, a company or an entrepreneur uh, engaging in uh, a Me Too type of strategy, what is key to their survival and growth? I think it's actually recognizing that you can't stay as a Me Too long term because the problem being a Me Too, if your products really have no unique uh, features and benefits, then you're always going to be trying to sell on price. Now, that can help you if you are trying to sell on lower price, build you know, key expertise in the delivery mechanisms, manufacturing, service operations, etc. And as you build that um, actual capability, that can allow you then to actually move up what we call the innovation pecking order. So typically innovation, we talk about first market companies, fast followers, followers, and then me too. Well, if you start as a me too and you build some unique capabilities, over time you can move up that pecking order and actually get to the stage where you can start to develop unique value. Now, some of the things that Frank Alpert was saying about consumers like pioneering brands, that's actually quite true. And I've worked recently with a very well-known Asian manufacturer of domestic products. And what they've found over the years, they did start as a Me Too. They've got excellent manufacturing. They've got all of those capabilities, supply chain. But now, because they've actually built large market share and become a leader in many countries, their customers are demanding innovation of them. And actually, mm. that company is now building the capability to actually understand customer needs better and also to build its own brand and get that recognition. So long term, I think it's that the Me Too companies need to recognize that Me Too long term is not the strategy. So it can be sort of an organic evolution. The more success this company gets, uh, the, the more demand that the com consumers get for differentiation or some innovation. And uh, if they are smart companies, they just uh, naturally just evolve towards that way. Yes, I just don't really like the word organic because okay. it does sort of sound a bit slow. And in some of these I markets, see. you can't be too slow. And the example I just mentioned, this big manufacturer of domestic appliances is actually behind. It's their customers demanding, well, if you're the leader, let's see some really different things in your products. And they are actually looking to catch up there. So, yes, I agree with mm. it. It does evolve, but uh, it does need some management. Let's drive it rather than just sort of wait for it to happen. I think he's on point. Yeah, I would agree with just about everything. The and the fact is is that it can be, you know, the Me Too approach can be a good foot in the door. It can be a way to get that initial traction that you need to then become the more innovative company. I will say too that the more and more emphasis is getting put on this this brand experience where, you know, customers wanting be there being a backlash to to customers perception that this is a Me Too product. Right, so the yeah. I think there's something to that, and you know, also the social sumer where the a lot of customers now they want they want to know that the the 
company they're buying from is doing some good for, right. the, for society. Professor, we can't necessarily just begrudge a company or an individual who's starting a company of uh, trying out this strategy. As uh, Professor Alper was saying, uh, being a pioneer company, it seems to the layman something that entails much greater resources and R&D and, and what have you. And if you are trying to get into business or, or, or become a, a viable business, it's not something that necessarily should be condemned, right? No, and actually small companies do have the advantage that uh, they can make decisions quickly. So the sorts of things that Clay and colleagues do, what entrepreneurs are really well known for is for having a natural ability to spot uh, customer needs and then come up with some way of serving those needs. But actually the really good entrepreneurs do that in a, at a small scale. They, t they check it out, they test it, they very quickly bring things to market, see the reactions and let the, the market then the market say, oh, this is good, I want more of it. And in that way, the, the, the smaller guys, the more entrepreneurial guys, have got a big advantage over companies which tend to get mm. sometimes caught up in their decisions. It's sometimes really nice to have the sort of small size where you've only got one or two people in the com company who can make decisions fast. Slower decisions is the thing that tends to kill the big companies. Right. Clay, I mean, just can you just maybe game the situation sure. for us? You mentioned your work uh, advising companies, uh, right. companies you think uh, successful in in the West that might uh, be successful here. A lot of it fitness based. Here in fitness, there's a ton of me too stuff going on here, as stuff. you well know, as Absolutely. I know. Absolutely. But how do you how do you search out the good opportunities? Right. I mean, so my, my main line of business right now is it's a. It's a communication training company that, that benchmarks or does a Me Too with CrossFit. So it's essentially it's it's training you how to how to speak uh, you know be a global speaking global business under the same exact patterns that that you use doing CrossFit the the um, the fitness trend and that I mean that is that's a Me Too approach that what I want my customers who come into my English you know English fitness classes I want them to to feel that same experience that they feel that. You know, if they've done CrossFit they, or that people feel when they do the CrossFit. Okay, so I mean, I guess you could accuse, you know, I guess in a sense that is, um, I'm copying the fundamentals of CrossFit, right. but I don't see, I, I see that as innovative. I, I see it as connecting two dots that aren't, aren't exactly, um, you know, connected and, and going from there. I think that's, I feel like that's the good side of, of this sort of borrowing or me too or benchmarking approach mm. to business. And I think that the bad side is to, to exactly copy, you know, to, to create a burger, sure. a burger restaurant that's the exact same down to the, you know, or a churro stand or whatever. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm not. I'm sure Greg Glassman, um, CEO of yeah. CrossFit, he's not berating you right now exactly. <laughs> over the yeah. phone. If, if over he cares, this. then that's that's a good thing. <laughs> exactly. Professor Goffin. Uh, now you mentioned the small players are nimble. Uh, they can uh, uh, do some things that the the major conglomerates uh, cannot in, in terms of, I suppose, their ability to react to things. But the large conglomerates also have some advantages, right? Particularly with economies of scale. And if they deem okay, we're going to go in and we're going to uh, wipe these guys out we can do so yes they can slightly but of course if the, the small companies because as you say they're nimble if they know they're going to get copied there's going to be reactions to them they need to plan ahead and know that well, okay if they introduce product or service a they're going to get a reaction what's their plan before that reaction from the conglomerates comes what's their plan for the a plus product mm -hmm. and if they can then stay ahead because they've got faster decision making and much faster to market the small guys can have a plan then as long as they know whatever they do the big guys are going to be looking at it but as uh, clay said agree to absolutely totally with that that when clay and his colleagues are doing the innovating they're not copying one-to-one -one. they're looking where they add something unique 
and then they get the, the double effect that the customers are relatively familiar with what's, with what's being offered, but then there's the wow, okay, I, I know what's being offered, I've seen something like this before, but ah, yes, within this small company's offering, there's this extra thing that really does actually address my needs. And if companies can do that, particularly with niche uh, segmenting, so finding a niche where there are those particular needs, sometimes which the big guys are uh, actually overlooking or ignoring, right. then that's a really good way of staying ahead. Yeah, and that's the other point, right, Clay? Because, okay, it's great to be innovative, but mm -hmm. sometimes it might be risky. Let's the, the CrossFit analogy once again. Okay, everyone's familiar with the bumper plates and the and the barbells and the wads and all. Then right. we have something similar there. If you came out and said, "I'm going to be innovative. I'm just going to buy a bunch of shake weights and have these group shake weight classes," people might say, "Well, that's innovative, but uh, there might not be as much acceptance yeah. from the market, right?" right. Yeah, I think bottom line, too, is it's just as an entrepreneur, as a small business, you've got to get eyeballs however you can. And, and usually that means not having, you know, figuring out a way to not have to educate your customers, you know, as much as you can about why they should come to your product. And for me, it was, you know, they are the customers I have to this point are, are fairly well, uh, well versed in the fundamentals of CrossFit, the way it's patterned. And so, you know, I can I can get in my English training system you know, in a way that, that makes sense to them pretty quickly, resonates, and then, and then gets, gets buzz and gets traction. Professor Goffin, as we've been talking about uh, the fears of having this be uh, somewhat of an impediment to innovation as a whole, in your view, what do you think needs to be done to, uh, I suppose, maintain a healthy marketplace, but at the same time ensure that innovation does take place in various marketplaces? Um, I think companies need to be aware that there are risks and some things are going to fail. So it, it's actually not bad if things fail. Now, what do entrepreneurs do? They move on quickly. They make sure they fail quickly but learn from it and then go with the next idea. Larger companies still struggle to do that. But innovation, you know, some of the latest research shows that typically there's about a 60% success rate for new products. Mm -hmm. um, it actually is, if you're looking at incremental so very similar to today's products it's slightly higher at about 70 percent if you're coming with something radically new it drops to about 40 percent certain markets there's a much higher failure rate than others so in um, food and drink and beverages as typical things in supermarkets it can be up to about 90 percent wow. failure rate so companies need to know there are failures but um, build that into their planning and try and make sure they fail early. It doesn't matter if you fail as long as it's not by the time you've spent two years and building up the market and invested a huge amount. Mm. Test early, really get something to market, trial it out, and then your customers will tell you if it's a good success or not. All right. Well, very interesting indeed. Professor Goffin, uh, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it. You're welcome, Henry. Good talking to you. Professor Keith Goffin uh, from Cranfield School of Management uh, spending our remaining time with Clay here. Overall, do you think, and we say Korea might be a little bit unique because it does seem like at least the perception is that it does seem more apparent here, but Hot do you bed. feel uh, a Me Too strategy will continue to thrive? I don't. I, I think uh, two things. One, China is now in a position to, to be the, the world leader in these Me Too strategies. I think Korea was there 15 years ago. They, they were in the prime spot to really take advantage of those, those gaps. Uh, that's one. And then I think also now just with the, you know, how lively Korean customers are, there's more, I mean, essentially the Me Too strategy means it's, it's less authentic, the experience, you know, as both the professors were talking about. And the more it evolves towards Korean customers wanting that authentic experience, wanting to help society with, with their buying decisions, uh, I think the less impactful this, this Me Too marketing is going to be. Of course, it's still industry to industry, but. Right. And yeah. 
when we talk about China, this massive giant, they're able to meet to basically any single product or right. service in the world if they wanted to. Uh, what about the small players? I, I, I don't think you take offense if I say you're one of the smaller players, but not at all. how do you guys survive then if Me Too is not viable long term or, you know? You come up with something creative and you, you, uh, you know, they say two ways to make money in business is to bundle and to unbundle. Okay. You see a big, you know, and also to connect dots. And I think, um, you just, you know, like Professor um, Goffin was talking about, you good entrepreneurs, they can they can see where existing products or services are starting to lag or starting to fail, and they can fill in the gaps there and, you know, offer what's not being offered, and then have, be that, you know, be maneuverable enough to pivot in whatever direction the, the customer takes them. And that's, uh, and that's where the big companies now, they have trouble because they got to, they got to run it by the board of trustees. They got to do all this, and it's, it's a slower process. So I think it's, the ability to be nimble, but but also the ability not to have too much pride, not to think you, you've got to reinvent the wheel with everything you do. You know, you've got to you've got to borrow when when there's time to borrow, and you got to do mm-hmm. what you got to do to survive. But but it needs to be fundamentally innovative, I think, uh, with most startups, because if not, it's you're going to be white knuckling right. it. You know, at a certain point. Well, we're going to have to leave it there, Clay. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Good to see you again. Hope Good to, to see talk you, to you too. Again soon. Absolutely, thank you. anytime. All right.